0: Well, hello everyone it is uh, good to see you. it's good to be back and uh very very excited to launch off iCare community real excited about uh where we're going to kind of focus ourselves as individuals and then certainly as a church uh, over the next uh, few months over the course of the spring and iCare care community is going to kind of set that foundation for us from uh, now until easter we're going to zero in on that and then after easter into the spring even into the summertime uh, I Care Community is going to kind of define the direction that we're going to move and invest ourselves as a, as a church. So I'm very excited about it, very cranked about it, and I love this kind of stuff. I love it when we get excited about Jesus, when we get excited about loving uh, our neighbors as ourselves, and uh, nothing kind of jazzes me up more uh, than to, to be a part of that. So that's the goal and kind of focus of I Care Community. I wrote it down in my notes this way, um, I Care Community, the main goal of this effort is simply that we as individuals create or advance relationships with people that need the love and the message of Jesus. We as individuals either create or advance relationships with people that need the love and the message of Jesus. And then we'll do that together as a whole church, right? So the the church is the sum total of its individual parts. So what I do, we wind up doing. So as as I own this idea and I weave this into kind of my life and my friends and neighborhood and, and network, Uh, that will cause us to do that corporately. We wanna create or advance a relationship with Jesus uh, so that we can share the hope and the message of His love. Now, let's just talk about that for a minute. If we were looking at the Bible, especially the second half of it, it it's called the New Testament, and we were looking at the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles. The apostles were the people that were um, directly given authority by Jesus to speak on His behalf. So if we're going to look at the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, one of the things that you would find real quick and real clear in the Bible is that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that I am to do is to tell that story. I'm to tell the story of what he's done in my life and tell the story of who he is and, and what he has done for us. That's called the gospel that Jesus came He lived, he suffered, he died, he rose again, and he provides an avenue of salvation for us. That's called the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And if I'm a Christ follower, I'm to share or to tell the gospel, right? Now, if you're here this weekend and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, uh, the good news is, is that you're totally off the hook. This doesn't, that you don't have to do that at all, right? So you can kind of hang out and listen and a bunch of stuff will make sense to you and it'll be interesting especially if you're kind of investigating what it means to follow Jesus, but you're totally off the hook. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're totally on the hook, all right? Because this is something that God is very clear about. It's, it's right there, kind of in black and white, and there's no way to escape it, that as a follower of Christ, one of the prime directives in, that Christ gives to his followers is that we are to, to love him with all heart, soul, mind, strength, we're to love our neighbor as, as ourselves, and we're to tell or share this good news of the gospel, the hope, the message, and the love of Jesus. Let me, let me show you from the Bible, and, and we can do this, like, it's, it's easy, right? So I just, I just picked out a few passages here. We're going to dig into this next, uh, in the next few weeks in more depth, but let me just show you kind of on a cursory level uh, what this looks like. So uh, for instance, I put these references in your notes, and then they're up on the screen. Uh, the verses, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go to into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. That that is Jesus talking to his followers. That's called the Great Commission. He says, Listen, I want you to go everywhere. I want you to start close to home. So in your natural path of life. But I want you to kind of make it your life's mission to proclaim or tell this gospel all over the world. Uh, He says it a different way in Matthew. He says, I want you to go in all the world. I want you to preach the gospel or tell the gospel. And I want you to make disciples. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything that I've, I've taught you, right? So you go with intentionality on purpose. This is on the to-do list. It's a prime directive. A Christ follower does that. They proclaim or they share the gospel. Another passage is uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus is talking about why he came to the planet. And so he says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you ask Jesus, hey, why are you here? Like, what, what's the main reason you're here? He would say, well, I came to, to seek and to save that which, to, to save lost people. That people's souls are lost, we're mired in sin that keeps us from God, and I came to provide a way out of this, right? Did you come to start Christianity? No, not, I mean, not really. Did you come to start the church? No, that's kind of a, a bit of a byproduct. What's the main bottom line? What's the main reason? Well, I came to do that. I came to live and to teach, and and I came to offer my life, and I died, I suffered and I died. I rose again from the dead. That's because I'm God, and I do that stuff, and that's what I can do, and why? So that people who don't have any hope, who don't have any way to save their soul, who don't have any way to be set free from sin, can do that, so they have a, a path to God. So as a Christ follower... If I was looking and saying, you know, I, I want to mimic Jesus's actions, certainly adopt and lock into his heart, what's his prime directive? Well, it's that. It's that. If I'm a Christ follower and I want to act like and be like, talk like, love like, and be motivated like Jesus, I'm going to seek and to save the lost. In fact, it's the prime directive of the church. That the, the church. God gave the church to the world. He didn't give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. Why? So that we could tell the good news and help people know the message and the love of Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse two. He told them, Jesus, again, talking to his followers. He said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So Jesus looks again at his disciples, and he says, listen, guys, look, look unto the harvest. That's the way the old King James used to say it. Look unto the harvest, right? Look out there. The problem is not that there's nobody to tell my message to. The problem is not there's nobody to share my love with. The problem is that nobody does it. There's plenty of people that need the hope of Christ, plenty of people that need salvation, plenty of people that that need to know that there's a different path in life. So when you pray, pray that the Lord would work in his people to go and harvest, to go tell that story and help other people to connect to him. And again, he just kind of drives this in. This is his prime directive. It's a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You can get into the apostles, right? So uh, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the, of the New Testament, he, of course, grabbed this because he's speaking on behalf of Christ. And he says this to his protege, Timothy, in uh, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says, listen, Tim, listen, you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's talking to Timothy about what it means to, to serve and follow and lead for God. And he says things like, hey, listen, Tim, you gotta, you gotta have sound doctrine, you gotta you know, live a pure life, be loving and compassionate and do the work of an evangelist. That, that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, for those of us who grew up in church uh, the, the disadvantage of growing up in church is we have very sophisticated ways to rationalize why we don't have to follow the Bible. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it was. So some of us would look and say, well, Jeff, I don't have the gift of evangel." You don't understand. I don't have the gift. To- I'm not Billy Graham. Right? I don't have the gift of evangelism. And if you said that to the Apostle Paul, he would be like, oh, all right, that's not what I said. I said, do the work of an evangelist. Well, oh, I'm not gifted. Well, I'm sorry, do the work of an evangelist. Well, you don't understand. I do understand. I'm an apostle. Do the work of an evangelist, right? So he's talking, about, he said, there's an intentionality to it. I don't have to be a, a, a pastor or a missionary, an evangelist. It's an intentionality. I'm just looking at people the way that Jesus looks at people. And I'm on purpose doing that work of an evangelist. Well, evangelist, all that means is someone who tells the good news of Jesus. That's all that word means. I'm someone who tells the good news of Jesus. Uh, Peter, who was another one of the apostles, he hung out with Jesus all the time, uh, he said it this way. He said in in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter says, listen, make Christ the center point of, of your life, set him apart as Lord. That's gonna change your life. And when people ask you why your life is different, give them the reason for the hope that you have. So when you bump into that buddy from high school that you used to drink and party with all the time, and he's like, hey, dude, why don't you drink and party all the time? Don't look and say, oh, my wife won't love me. That's why. Hey, don't do that. If Christ has changed your life, and that's why you don't do it, then say, yeah, you know, I, I started following Jesus. That's why, right? When you're going through a terrible time in your life, and the circumstances are depressing, but you're not. And people would look, might look at you and say, man, I, you're the most happy person. How do you stay up? Or just tell them the reason. Well, I, I, you know, the Holy Spirit's in me, and I have a hope, and, and I know. We go through losses, right? Someone that we love has passed away. Why aren't you devastated by that? Well, because I, I believe in heaven, and they believed in Jesus, and they're there, and I do too. So I'm, I'm 100% certain we're going to be reunited uh, because of what Christ did. Just answer the question, right? Give a reason for the hope that's within you. And that's what Christ is saying. It's what his, his teachings does. It's what the apostles reaffirm. And, and he's just saying, listen, your faith in, in Christ is personal. That's certainly true. God has personally affected you. But it is not private. It was never meant to be private. Well, I just I kind of have my own relationship with Christ. Actually, no, you don't. No, that's not the way it works. It's it's to be something that's external. And Jesus would be really strong about that. He'd say, wait a minute, I didn't didn't give you hope so that you could hoard it. I gave you hope, in part, so you could share it. I want to personally affect and change your life, certainly, because I love you. But that's not yours to keep. That's yours to enjoy and share. Our lives are to be lived externally. So as a follower of Jesus, the Bible is crystal clear. You cannot argue with it. If if you believe Jesus is God and you accept the Bible as as his word, you cannot argue with this. It's it's plain Jane right there, right? When, When you look at that, Jesus would say, no, a follower of Jesus on purpose seeks to create advanced relationships so that if I open the door in their life, you can share the hope, the message, and the love of Christ with them, right? And it's a part of our calling. It's a part of who we are. And it, as much as I would read my Bible, or pray, or go to church, I would tell people about the gospel and the hope of Jesus. Right now, when I say that, I watch you, and you just see, it and I, we all tense up, right? We're like, I hate that part of the Bible. Right after tithing, I hate that part, right? That whole, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't want to be, I call them Jesus jerks. I don't want to be that guy that is shoving Jesus down somebody's throat and all of us know that stereotype and some of us have had that we've encountered that Jesus jerk guy the guy that is knocking on our door in the middle of the day and he's like you want to hear about Jesus and you're like no <laughs> I'm watching the football game right I hate that if you knock on my door in the middle of the day I will sick my children on you right they will try. I don't like to be disturbed at home I don't, I'm that guy that sticks the sign up in his yard. You want to burn in hell? If not, call me, right? You know, I, nobody likes that guy. The guy with the bumper sticker, he cuts you off, he flips you off, and then the bumper sticker says, Jesus loves you on the back, right? Which is why I don't put a bumper sticker on my car because I like to do the first two things, right? So I don't want to, right? So the, the Jesus, nobody, nobody wants to encounter that, right? So when we hear about share our faith Evangelism, especially if you have a church background, we'll tense right up. If you don't have a church background, you're like, yeah, I've met people like that. And that's the stuff that I hate being identified with it, right? I went to a, a football game a couple of years ago with a buddy of mine. And we were uh, over in Indianapolis at this football game. And there were these guys with these bullhorns. And they're literally screaming at people at this football game. Like, God is going to judge you, and it's a Sodom and Gomorrah, and you're going to burn, and, and Jesus loves you, and you need to and even I, I was like, man, those Christians are idiots, you know? I, like, I didn't want anything to do with it, right? Because we don't, we don't like Jesus jerks, okay? This isn't what Jesus is talking about. He, he never, it, listen, And some, many of those folks are well-intentioned, bless their heart, right? They're well-intentioned but it's not what he was saying. What, the reason that we resent that is because we're being slammed with truth and offered no relationship. I don't know you, why are you taught? I don't know you, you wanna hear about Jesus? No, I don't wanna hear about you, I don't wanna know you, I don't even wanna talk to you, leave me alone, right? I'm busy. Outside of the context of relationship, this can be destructive in some way. Sometimes it can be done really well, but it can be destructive. Jesus is talking about relationships. He's saying, listen, do you know somebody and do you love them? And in the context of that relationship, would you share hope with them? And so we're going to walk you before you tense up, we're going to walk you through this, right? So next weekend, we're going to talk about being a minister of reconciliation. It's a Bible term. It just means how do you connect people to God? We're going to talk about what it means to be salt and light. Why do you live where you live? Go to school where you go to school, work where you work. What's that? Why is that there? We're going to talk about how do I share hope and live hope with people who vehemently disagree with me? What am I supposed to do about that? Then we're going to talk about how can I offer love and help to people without enabling them? Like where, where are those lines? And then the last week we're going to talk about if we're to be known by our love, how, how do you do that for like real, right? Like how do you put feet and kind of make that tangible? So we're going to, I'm going to walk you through all of that. And we're going to kind of work through it so you can relax a little bit about it. But we want to take the time over this spring and really zero in on this and say, Let, let's get our hands around it. This is a prime directive of followers of Christ, certainly of the church corporately. It's a prime directive. And without being Jesus jerks, how can we share the hope and the message of, of Christ? So we got to thinking and said, how can we put feet to it? And we got to think about our culture and realize this, that one of the things that is very true of our culture right now is that people generally like to do good. We, we like to volunteer. We like to be involved. If, uh, if there was a, a little kid that was fighting cancer and the family didn't have any money, we would have a fundraiser for them or do a CrossFit or maybe have a 5K to help them out. We like doing, I do too, I like doing those things, right? Um, we like to, to pitch in. Well, we realize that's very much a part of who we are at Grace. We're, we're actually known in our community for pitching in, for serving our community. See, we're, so we're the, we're the church that tutors kids in the inner city. We're the church that sends a million meals to feed my starving children for famine relief. We're those guys, right? And we're kind of known for that. And it's a part of our culture here. And we said, what if we blend those things together? What if instead of us doing good to our community, what if we did good with our community? What if we invited our friends, our neighbors, into that process with us? And off of that foundation of doing good with each other, it creates an environment of friendship, and if God opened the door through that environment of friendship, we could, we could share the, the hope of Jesus. But let's do it on purpose, okay? So let's initiate in advance, create in advance a relationship. Let's actually make friendships off this platform of doing good and see what God would do it. Not do good to our community, but do go- good with our community. And so that's how we thought up of I Care Community. Now... Let me, let me show you how this would work, okay? So we came up with these four eyes, and I'm going to walk you through it. In fact, if you've got um, a program, there, you got the insert, right? The one side's blank, it's got the four eyes, it's blank. The other side's got information, it's got the four eyes written out, it's got the website and all that kind of stuff, so you can get information. What are the four eyes of eye care, and how can you connect to these four eyes, all right? So we said in order to actually put feet to this and actually put intentionality behind it, what would we need to do? Here's the first one. We would need to intentionally interact with God. Intentionally interact with God. So that means prayer, prayer. And prayer's a big deal. We actually believe in prayer here. So we believe that Jesus rose again from the dead and that he's in heaven right now and he hears our prayers. So when we're praying, we're not, we're not doing self-talk and we're not speaking to the air. We believe that we're talking to Christ. So if somebody said, do you believe you talk to God and he listens? The answer is, yeah, actually. <laughs> I believe that, right? So we believe that we talk, we talk to God and that God hears and he empowers our prayers. So we said, what if we prayed for people in our lives that God would open up their heart and their mind to his message and love? What if we did something as simple as pray for them? So we came up with this idea. You guys all got these bracelets, right? When you came in, you got these bracelets? All right. The reason that we got these bracelets, I I wanted us to have a way that we could remember to pray for the people in our lives, so I thought, what is something really annoying that drives you nuts and is a little bit cheesy, but you would always notice? Those bracelets, right? The reason we got these bracelets is because I hate these things. <laughs> like if you're the person that wears 10 of them, I think you should get your hand cut off, right? I hate, I hate these things. They drive me nuts, right? They pull on the hairs on my arm and you got to like shower around them and they get caught in heavy machinery and I, I, hate, I hate these bracelets, but this is the idea exactly right because I notice it I was joking with my friend coming down here I keep going like this because I'm like do I have a watch oh it's a bracelet, oh, that bracelet. right it's of the devil the devil invented these things <laughs> so we're redeeming them for good and this is our idea why don't we take these things and put them on they're annoying right and this is what we want to do I have mine my names on here already let's ta- let's take three people and write their first names on the inside of this bracelet. Okay, turn it inside out, write their first names on there. In fact, we put Sharpies in the chairs so you can do this. And even that's annoying because you have to use a Sharpie like three times to get it to work on the bracelet, right? Write three names, and I have my three names here. I'm not going to say them out loud, but I got three guys in my life that I love, they're my friends, and I want them to, I want them to know Jesus, right? I love them. We're friends. We hang out. And I want to pray for them. And all I'm praying, I'm making a commitment with the annoying little bracelet, I'm going to pray for them every day for six weeks. Every day. And every time I notice this dumb little bracelet and it's bugging me, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, God, please work with so-and-so, so-and-so, and 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 so-and-so. And open up their heart and open up their mind to your message and your love. That's it, that's it, right? And we looked and said, wouldn't this be powerful? In about a six-week time period, here at at Grace, at just the Bath campus, there would be approximately 5,000 individuals who would move through the Bath campus in about a six-week time period. And we said, we're gonna have the kids do this starting next week, we're gonna have teenagers do it, We said, wouldn't it be amazing if about 15,000 people a week, 15,000 people a day were being prayed for, that God would open up their heart and their mind to his message and his love. That alone would deeply affect the greater Akron area. So we said, let's do it. Let's do it on purpose. Like, let's bug ourselves, right, to do it. And let's pray. God, would you work in this way? Pray for three people every day for six weeks, See what God does, intentionally interact with God. The second I and I care is this. It's intentionally share hope. Intentionally share God's love is what I'm going to say. Intentionally share God's love. And it's this idea. We all know and we all talk about the needs in our community. And so we've said this. For the next six weeks, instead of talking about the needs of our community, what if we actually did something about it? What if we actually did something about locally, globally, let's not talk, let's do. And over the next five or six weeks, when those needs, let's think about those needs and let's formulate a little simple plan and let's be involved and let's do something. And I will be the catalyst for that to happen in my neighborhood. So we are not putting together a hundred different teams for us to go out and do stuff as a church, we don't want to do just good to our community. We want to do good with them. And we would say, go into your network of people, your neighborhoods, and recognize the need. You may know it. You may know that the school needs volunteers. You may know that there needs to be some tutoring. There may be this, you know, widow lady at the end of the street, and she needs help. I have, I have no idea. I don't live in your community. But in your little network, what could you do? And you're the catalyst. I'm going to grab my neighbors. Let's. I'll be the catalyst. And let's do good together and love the people in our neighborhood and our community. Now, our hope is that you come up with a good idea. Some people were telling me their ideas in between services are really, really creative stuff coming up. But if you can't think of one, if you're just not that creative person, there's one thing that we're going to help organize, but you have to do it in your neighborhood. And we call it the shoe project. And the shoe project is this. Go around to your neighbors. By the way, this lets you meet your neighbors. Some of us don't even know our neighbors' names, right? We're going to go to our neighbors. We'll help you make a flyer or get one to you. And we're going to collect shoes. And we're partnering with an organization that takes used shoes, cleans them and sanitizes them, packages them up, and gets them to the most impoverished places in the world, right? And they give them to people there in the name of Jesus. Now, For a North American, that sounds like, oh, come on, shoes. If you have that mindset, I'll just be honest with you, you've never been to the poorest places on earth. Shoes are a massive deal, believe it or not. My son Isaac and I were in Haiti a couple years ago, and uh, we were helping with this construction site, and my son actually gave his shoes away to a kid. And I actually gave a pair of my shoes away. Uh, the, the kids were running around on broken glass and rebar on concrete. They don't have shoes and no way to get them. He just gave them his shoes. I gave mine to a guy that was chopping a tree down with a machete and flip-flops. I'm like, eh, here's some steel-toed boots, <laughs> right? I don't see this ending well. It's a big, big deal, okay? And it's a real practical way to show God's love and your neighbors aren't going to be bothered that you're pitching in on this. They're going to be excited about it, right? So you don't know your neighbor's. Go get to know them, know their names. If you do know your neighbors, come out of hibernation, like my neighborhood has been all winter long, right? We don't see each other because we're all trying to survive. And go and knock on the door, just like the kid from the band would do it or the Girl Scout troop would do it, it's no big deal, and say, hey, this is what we're doing, thing my church is doing, you guys want to pitch in? Sure, sure is what they'll say. I'm going to come back in a week, I'm just going to remind you in a week, the third week we're going to collect, you know, I'm going to, I'll come by or we'll put the wagon out or whatever, we'll collect the shoes, we'll bring them here, we'll organize them and we'll have a packing event. Think of Feed My Starving Children, right? So we'll put music on, the Jackson 5, and we'll do a packing event and we'll send these shoes off and we'll do good together on purpose. So we're intentionally going to share God's love. Third eye. We're intentionally going to interact with God. We're praying for our three. Wearing our bracelet. We're going to intentionally share God's love. The third eye is this. We're going to intentionally share God's hope. We're going to intentionally share God's hope. What does that mean? That means this. In the environment of friendship, if God opens the door to tell your story, tell it. In the environment of friendship, if God opens the door to tell your story, tell it. Okay. So I'm praying every day for my friends. We're hanging out together. We're doing good together. If the conversation turns and they wonder about the reason for the hope that's within me, I'm going to tell them that story. And this is what I encourage you to do. As you pray for your three and as you share love with your neighbors, okay, and uh, serve them, Ask God, pray that God would open up the hearts and the minds of the three that you're interacting with, and ask God, ready, for a no-brainer moment, a no-brainer moment, because this is where we get really, really nervous. You want, me, you want me to tell my story? Yeah. Oh, man, well, what do you do? What do you do? I don't know any verses. What do you do? Give me a strategy. What do I do? Right? Is there something on the internet? Right? Should I tattoo something on my face? What should I do? Tell me what to do. Right? And what we need to do, we get way too worked up about this because we think it's our job to open up their heart and mind, and that's wrong. That's God's job. Ask God to give you a no-brainer moment, right? So let me give you an example of this. I, I fly quite a bit on an airplane all the time, and airplanes are interesting because you're trapped next to a stranger, right? Literally, you're strapped in next to a stranger, right? So it's always awkward, and so I've kind of done this over the years. I, I have, have a little routine. I'll sit down, right? The person sits down beside me, and I'll say, hey. They'll say, hey. And I'll say, uh, I'll always say, you coming or going, right? And we'll talk a little bit. And I'll see if they want to talk, because we're stuck together for the next 2, three, four, 10 hours, whatever it is, right? We're stuck together, right? As I'm gauging whether they want to talk, I have a little test. It's called the headphone test, Okay. The international symbol for I wish you would shut up and leave me alone is the putting on of headphones, right? And so I'll talk to them, see if they wanna talk a little bit. If they don't, they put on their headphones. And when they put on their headphones, guess what I do? I yank on the cord. I'm like, you need to know about Jesus. Right, no, I don't do that, right? So (laughs) when they put on their headphones, guess what I do? I put on my headphones and I think to myself, oh, good. I really wanna watch Gravity anyways, you know? I don't wanna talk. But I'm always going to test the water a little bit, right? 95% of the time, they put on their headphones. About 5% of the time, you, somebody want, is talkative, right? So I, w- I was flying over from Phoenix the other day, and this girl was from Alaska, and she was Muslim, and it was fast. Her story, that we just kept talking, right? And, and she was like done talking. She put on her headphones. I put on my headphones, right? It's no big deal. Every once in a while, this is over years there's been two or three times over the years that I've done that, and somebody wants to talk about spiritual things. And I've had a two or three, one time I had a four and a half hour conversation with someone about their relationship with God. Very, very rarely happens, but I always just kinda wanna see if God has created a divine appointment or if we're just gonna watch movies, right? It's, a no, it's the no-brainer. I'm not going to kick the door open, I'm not going to shove Jesus down anybody's throat, I'm just going to be a friend, be kind, be nice, be polite, and if you want to talk, we'll talk, if you don't, we won't. And if they really get interested in that conversation, then I'll I'll have it, I'll go through the door that God has opened, right? So that's what you're doing, you're you're not, there's no big strategy or plan, you don't bring them to a rally so that Jeff can tell them it's a it's a it's a no god give me a no-brainer moment so when you're doing shoes together and packing them up and you're connecting with people that you've been praying for and then all of a sudden they look at you and they say uh, hey uh, could you give me the reason for the hope that's within you please that's a no-brainer moment right and you're like oh i think i will right and so you need to pray for that and god will make it clear if they don't want to talk about jesus don't talk about jesus If they don't wanna hear your story, then don't tell yours, don't be obnoxious. But if God, if you're praying for them every day, God loves that prayer, he answers those kind of prayers. Don't be shocked if God gives you a no-brainer moment. And when he gives you a no-brainer moment, share the hope that's within you, right? So we're gonna intentionally interact with God, we're gonna intentionally show love, we're gonna intentionally share hope. Last thing, we're gonna intentionally learn the Bible here in the next five or six weeks, okay? Here's the problem. If you don't know God's story, it's really hard to tell it, okay? And some of us don't know, and by the way, guys, it's no big deal, right? It's a learning curve. So some of us are like, Jeff, I just, I signed up to follow Jesus like Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know, I'm like, oh, no big deal. Let's, let's get you up to speed. So some of us don't know God's story that well, and we really don't know how to like bring it out of like how I feel and what I think into something that would make sense to someone else. So we're going to help you do that. So there's two ways that you can intentionally learn the Bible here the next five or six weeks. Number one is just come, come to church, right? So put it on the to-do list that I'm going to be here the next five, six weeks. We're really not going to blow church off. We're going we're to make it, okay? And put it high on the priority because I'm going to walk you through all of this. The second way that you can engage that intentionally learn the Bible part is we have set up all kinds of classes through the Emmaus uh, Emmaus ministry programs here so that you can learn the Bible and learn to tell your story that way, right? So you might make the commitment here in this uh, five, six weeks to be a two-hour person, a two-hour person. What's a two-hour person? Number one, the first hour you come and you come in here, right? And hang out with me. And hear what we're teaching from the Bible. Enjoy the view. Soak it in. You're welcome, right? Honestly, I'm, I'm glad to give this to you. And by the way, I'm sorry for Ryan. I know it's painful, but I'm back, and I'm in high definition, okay? So you're, yeah, congratulations. So you enjoy that, right? Then the second hour, go grab one of the classes. And in five or six weeks, you'll be shocked how quick you can learn God's story. It's not overly complicated. So we'll help you with that. But you have to like intentionally do that. Like I'm going to tackle this and move with it and learn those things. Okay, so that's it. That's it. Th- those four eyes. I'm, g- I'm going to pray for somebody. Got my three on my wrist, right? I'm going to sh- I'm going to share love with somebody. I- I'm going to I'm going to we're going to do good together, right? I'm gonna, God, you give me no brainer moment. I'll tell them the reason for the hope that's within me. I'll share my hope, right? And I'm going to learn the Bible. I, I, I want to learn your story so that I can tell it and make it make sense to somebody else. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the time to do that. And that's, that's it. Guys, this, this, is, this is what Jesus had in mind. This is what he, what he meant. Uh, he, he was just saying, hey, just do this. Your faith is, is personal. It's not private. So tell my story. Don't hoard hope. Tell my story and, and tell Tell other people who I am, what I'm about, and what that's done in your life. I got to thinking about this, and I, I, I realized this is how most of us received the gospel. Most of us received the story of Jesus. is somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who wound up telling us, right? It's how the gospel has kind of perpetuated itself over, over the years. I was thinking about this... Um, in my own family, I, I, I didn't really know how the gospel first showed up in my family because my parents both grew up in such miserable circumstances. So I called my brother, and I, he, he knew the story. He's kind of the family of the story, and he's older than I am. And I, said, hey, I asked him what, what happened, and he told me this. He said, my dad's family, the Bogues, right, they lived... Uh, in Dayton, Ohio, in like a row house. My dad's family was very poor. And so they lived in this row house, like in the inner city of Dayton, Ohio. And uh, it was one of those things where, like, it had like a three foot of alley between them. And next door to my my father's family lived another family, uh, the Ball family. And there was a guy named Bill Ball who was a hoodlum. He was a, a, a drug dealer. This is in the 50s, right? The greaser, that, that guy. He was, he was Fonzie on drugs, right? And so that was, that was Bill Ball. Bill Ball's bedroom window was a directly across from my Aunt Virginie's bedroom window. And they started talking because they're only three or four feet apart. And they started dating, and they would sneak into each other's bedrooms at night. Literally, like that, I'm crawling in your window. Like, that really happened in my family, right? And so they would sneak into each other's rooms at night, and she got pregnant as a teenager. My grandfather, my, my mother was raised by an abusive alcoholic that used to beat her and her family. And my mother, growing up in that environment, said that my father's dad was the cruelest man she'd ever met. So my grandpa was something else. And my grandpa found out that his daughter was pregnant and found out that Bill Ball got her pregnant. And he said, if you don't marry my daughter, I'll kill you. And it, that probably was not an idle threat coming from my, my grandfather. So Bill and my Aunt Virgin, they're scared. She's a teenager in the 50s, you know, so it's big scandal, big deal they need to get married so they don't know what to do so they walk into a a church on the corner right they walk into this church and the people of this church embrace them so they didn't it wasn't like this awful thing kick them out that he had a reputation she's pregnant the people of the church embrace them love them and there was a guy in the church that started sharing jesus with them he walked them through this mess, told them about the message and the hope and the love of Christ. Shared his story. My uncle Bill accepted Christ, and then the pastor married them. My uncle's life was so radically changed that when he came back and said, "I've accepted Christ," he told my grandpa, who threatened the killing, what had happened. And his life was so altered by what Christ did in his life that he led my grandpa to Christ. And my, my grandpa accepted Jesus. And then my Uncle Bill, the guy that got, you know, uh, my Aunt Regime pregnant, also led his now brother-in-law, my dad, to Jesus. Okay, it's how the gospel showed up in my family. My dad, no discipleship, no church, because my grandpa was still a a booger. So my dad moved out of his house when he was 16 and raised his two younger sisters. But he had Jesus, right? He meets my mom, who's raised by this abusive alcoholic guy, and my dad brings Christ into that relationship with my mom. So my mom and dad now are two Christians that are married following Christ, and Christ was the, the centerpiece of their home and of their life right? Now, I come along, I'm the baby of my family. I call myself the blessing. All the other kids are jealous. (laughs) So, um, I'm the baby of my family. So, this is years later, and this is the deal. In one generation, one generation, right? I cannot relate to my parents' upbringing one generation later. I don't know anything about growing up in a dysfunctional home. Nothing. I don't know anything about growing up in a godless home. Christ was always the center point of our home. I don't know anything about never being in church. I don't know anything about a a dad that would abandon me. My dad would do anything for me. Right? I I don't know anything about not being loved or about alcoholism or none of that affected my life at all, period, period. Christ so radically changed our family that one generation later, every one of my father's children are followers of Jesus. And my my brother and I are both pastors. In fact, he's probably preaching right now too, right? Every one of my father's grandchildren are followers of Jesus. Two of his grandsons are headed in the ministry. All of my cousins on my father's side are followers of Jesus. One generation, one generation and God destroyed dysfunction and destroyed godlessness and destroyed addictions so much so that a generation later, we can't even relate to it anymore. It's all like far off old timey stories for us. How did the gospel come into our lives, and ra- literally, radically change a family. My great-grandparents would not recognize their family today. It's so different than, it, than the one that they produce. How did that all happen and start? It started because some stranger loved a drug addict and his pregnant girlfriend, prayed for them, was kind to them, did good, right? And somewhere in there, God gave that guy a no-brainer moment, and he told, I don't know the guy's name, he told my uncle about who Christ is, and his love for them, and the gospel, and the saving grace of Jesus. See, if, if, you, if you track your spiritual heritage, that's what you're going to find. You're not going to find a theologian, and you're not going to find, I was related to the Apostle Paul. You're not going to find that, right? You're going to find somebody somewhere who loved somebody, who did good, who was kind to someone, and who God worked, and they, when God worked and opened the door, they told their story. It is that simple, and that—that that is what Christ is calling for. He said, he's just saying, "Guys, my, that's what my people do. That's what my people have always done, right? and, and that's how the gospel, the good news, the hope of Jesus, has traveled from generation to generation to generation." What we're going to do with iCare Community is we're going to do all that on purpose. That's it. We're gonna do that on purpose for the next five or six weeks. And as you do it individually, church, some total of it's individual parts, right? So as you do it individually, we wind up doing it corporately. And we're gonna pray for folks, and we're gonna be kind to people, and when God gives a no-brainer, we're gonna tell our story, and we're gonna learn his story so that we can tell it. That's it. And that will radically change. If you are that dysfunctional, broken person that good news can transform your life and alter your family and the history of your family moving forward. If you're, the, if you're the me, that that actually is my spiritual heritage. Drunkenness, abuse, and abandonment is what my spiritual DNA is. But Christ changed, literally changed a whole generation of my family. That you you can give that to your children. And when you look at the people around you and you see them hurting and they're broken and they're scared and they're what the Bible would say they're lost, loving them enough to just connect. I'm not just going to say, ah, that neighbor over there. I'm going to involve myself on purpose. I'm going to pray for them on purpose. I'm going to be kind to them on purpose, intentionally, right? God, give me the no brainer moment and I will, on purpose, tell of your hope. How we want you to respond here is this. You have this connection card, grab it, take it out. And on that connection card at the bottom of it, it says, I wanna opt in to iCare, right? So you put your name on it, opt in. You can also just do this on GraceLink if you don't wanna mess with the paper. If you wanna do it right now, just do it right now. What does opt in do? Opt in just gets the information flowing to you. That's all that means. So, you're saying, yep, I, I'm, I'm gonna pray for people. I'm gonna be the catalyst to do good in my community. Uh, sign me up for the emails. Let me know when the classes are coming. Like I'm gonna, I wanna zero in on those things, okay? So just check that box, opt in. The baskets will come by in a little bit, drop it in, and we'll get you in the loop and we'll start the information flowing to you, okay? The second big thing that we want you to do is these annoying bracelets. Guys, probably the biggest win for me would be if we actually were praying for 15,000 people a day. That would blow my mind and absolutely thrill the heart of God. So we put these Sharpies. You have have to pass them around a little bit. So the Sharpies are literally in the chairs. You can grab those. And in the moment, the, in fact, the band can go ahead and come out. The band's going to come out. They're going to take us into a time of worship. We want you to thank and pray. Ask God to bring to mind the three people, okay? And they're probably people that you know already. So you're thinking and praying about those three people. Do what I did. I wrote their first names down. It's, it's kind of my little secret. And I'm just asking God to work in their heart and mind and give me a no-brainer moment, and then I'll... I'll step through that, okay? So opt in and pray right on that rubber band. We'll wear that, and we'll see where the Spirit leads us and how He chooses to work. So let's do that now. Why don't we bow our heads, tune in with God a little bit. We'll take these few moments of music and worship and ask God to direct us through.